Are you ready to realize the true potential in your life and help others do the same? Get equipped to create a thriving future with the Secrets of Success podcast. Inspire others to live, lead, and work on purpose. And experience the joy of watching satisfaction and productivity come to life. And now, here's your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Welcome to Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, each week we want to be able to share with you insights, strategies, concepts that help you to grow personally, professionally, or both. And today is going to be no exception. I'm always privileged to have special guests with me. And today is Stephanie Hanlon's turn, but also a personal friend. And so, Stephanie, thank you for joining us on the call today. It's absolutely my pleasure, Ken. Thank you for the invitation. Oh, you're welcome. And, you know, it's always neat to have people that you've known before to be on the show with us. And Stephanie, she's going to give you her expertise. You know, I met her and her husband a few years ago, Patrick, and they were able to attend one of my certifications, but also really got to know them a little bit better through uh, mostly, Stephanie, through Patrick's business around, you know, his real estate investment uh, network and group. But really, you're an expert on performance coaching and really helping individuals to realize their potential, uh, specifically in the athletic world as well as other worlds. But Stephanie, how did you come to get into being an expert coach in a performance uh, contributor to individuals to realize their full potential? Just give us a little bit of your journey and how you came to the fact that you've actually coached Olympians, world champions. Uh, so, I mean, for those of you that are listening, Stephanie's not dealt with the little guy down the street who is in bantam hockey. Uh, we're talking about working with the elite of the elite. So, Stephanie, how, what, just tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got into this. Well, that's a great question. How, how much time do we have, Ken? <laughs> as much well. as we need, Stephanie. <laughs> Well, you know, it's great, and thank you for that introduction. It's amazing to see, you know, looking at it at this stage of my career. And, and truthfully, I did work with the Bantam down the street, and I worked with the Peewees, and I've worked with the pros. And what I discovered over the years as I was building my business and building my practice of performance coaching is that the performance on the ice or the performance in the store or the performance on the stage, on film, wherever I've had the privilege to work with athletes or performers or business people, is truly about getting them aligned with who they really are. Mm. And when an athlete is working his or her magic on the ice or on the basketball court or wherever they are, they have the ability to stay completely focused and present. And I've listened to your podcast before, and there seems to be a really cool theme with a lot of your guests is that performance and excellence is really about knowing who you are, staying true to it, and, and continually being aligned with your values. Mm, for sure, Not for sure. So how did how did you what's your journey? How did you get into the space? Uh, the space of performance coaching was an evolution. I started as a physical skating coach, a power skating coach, uh, 15 years in the NHL, and I, you know, school of hard knocks, so to speak, after university. No one tells a girl going into the NHL that you really aren't allowed in the dressing room and you really shouldn't be talking to the media and you really shouldn't be, you know, doing all. I had to learn all of those things the hard way. And the great thing about working for the Edmonton Oilers is that Glenn Sather was our general manager, and he took me under his wing for a little while and just said, you know, you're going to learn this the hard way or you're going to learn this the hard way. So 
So let's uh, try and get you some skills and get you some experiences that will make sure that you figure out what it is that you can do to make sure that these players become better, faster, stronger, smarter, better-looking players. And what I was able Sorry, to I just want to stop you there, Stephanie. How did you get into doing this specific work? Like, were you a figure skater yourself, or, or how, how did you just get this interest in really helping people to perform in terms of, you know, it's not necessarily known to the people around the world listening to this about what is power skating, but the ability to really uh, control and be an excellent skater, and in some countries like Australia, not too many hockey rinks. So, so how did you actually get into that specific space? Uh, well, as a, growing up, um, I was a figure skater. I played hockey. My brother uh, played hockey all the way up to the Western Hockey League and, and uh, was a coach in the U.S. And we just sort of had a, a family that was really committed to uh, to sport, to growth, the values of sport. We were always told that we needed to be able to volunteer coaching, amateur coaching. So we were always working as kids. I was working with little kids since I was 10 years old and on the ice and, and just mm. doing the, the normal Canadian thing about learning to skate. But as I got higher up and, and competed more nationally and, and, and I wasn't all that good. Like I was good, but I wasn't good enough and I didn't really want to be good enough and I didn't really want to have to do the work that would have taken me to get to a, a national or Olympic level. I had so many other interests and I was really uh, quite good in multi areas of sport, um, multi areas. I was interested in business. I have an entrepreneurial mind. I've been working since I was 14 years old. So I really had this unique um, multi, they call it, I think now they probably call it ADHD, but my parents just said she's really just creative, so we got to figure stuff out. So I was able to get trained in a lot of different areas, but where my love and my passion lived was in helping people and teaching and and discovering what was in the way, and skating is a great example of that. So as a skater, I started to really see that what I was doing on the ice could really possibly help hockey players. I started go. I went down to Spokane and watched my brother in his tryouts back in the day with a team called the Spokane Flyers of the Western Hockey League, and half the guys couldn't skate, and it just blew my blew my mind. So I started to realize there was a gap there. And when I came back mm. to Canada and started looking at where the gaps were, uh, there just wasn't any quote unquote power skating teachers that were willing to mentor me. It was very um, kind of a closed-knit group, and the two that I approached just said, no, you know, that you'd, you'd be my competition, and I believe there's enough work for everyone, so I started training myself in university. I took all every, coach, every course I could in biomechanics or in movement or in strength conditioning, psychology of sport, and started to build my own little degree, so to speak, in the things that I was interested in and the things that I knew was going to make a difference. So I was working backwards from this experience I had in Spokane and watching these players going, there's something in the way. And so that began the journey of the discovery. And through that discovery, the, the, the path started showing itself to me. I didn't chase anything or people weren't looking for me. I started figuring out what I, where I saw I could be a fit and where I could be a contribution. And the path started showing up. Mm. Well, it's interesting, you know, Stephanie, as we were talking before we got on the air about, you know, the guests that have been on Secrets of Success and just when people find the light and find that flow, and it was just something that was a natural progression for you. It wasn't, yes, it was hard work. You, you didn't get there by accident, but it was also something that you were really inspired to go down to. Absolutely, and I, I see that as a common theme in a lot of people that have these unique types of careers. 
and have, for me, seeing it as a level of success, yes, but looking backwards on it, I see that it, I, was an, I had no choice. I was actually pulled. I was drawn to it. And the more success that I had or the more success my clients had, the more inspired I became. And when I actually realized I could get paid a really great uh, living to skate around and help people, then the, the barriers all lifted. And then from there is when the NHL showed up, and the players the players are the ones that kept me there. Like, I didn't – Glenn Sather offered me the contract, but he also said, you know, this has never been done before. There's been no women in hockey at this level. So you're going to have to figure out a way to keep yourself here. And I kept – I did that by just making sure everything I did was about the players. And that has been, to me, the secret of my success is that when I, the minute I make it about me and what I want, things shut down around me, Ken. Mm. But when I make it about what I, my contribution is and, and, the, and the results and, the, and the, that, that my, my players, my clients are getting, whether it's in sport or business, then the flow kicks back in again. So I know what my swim lane is. I don't want to miss this. Oh, that is such a, a wise point. I just got back from Mexico, Stephanie, and I read a book while I was there. And it was really talking about, you know, society or movies would, would have us believe that takers are the ones that succeed the most. And, in fact, the data shows the opposite, that people that give, people who focus on meeting the needs of others first, or the ones who actually succeed the most. And this was the book that I was reading. So what you were saying, even back 25-plus years ago, when you started with the Edmonton Oilers, and by the way, those listening who don't know that it's an NHL professional uh, hockey team, is your ability to succeed was really to put the client first, to put them first, to take your ego out of it. Absolutely. And the great thing was about that is I really didn't know I was doing it at the time. I only knew what it felt like and what the results I was getting if I did all of a sudden get a little bit full of myself or uh, started believing my own press or, I, you know, people were giving me things or I was being interviewed. And it was a unique time in my life. And I was just young enough to and just old enough to realize that I could go either way. And my commitment was to making sure that I stayed in the industry as long as I could, and the only way that was going to happen is if the guys said, talked to other guys about how, what their experience was. So I didn't do it consciously. So it wasn't like I, like you say, 25 years ago, there was a lot of books or a lot of mentors out there that said, hey, here's how you got to you know, stay in the game, or here's how you have to put your clients first so that you can grow. When I look backwards now, I see like I was a genius. It's like, I, how did I not know that? <laughs> well, <laughs> now I, I know your that. heart to a certain degree. <laughs> Maybe I'm claiming something I really don't know. but uh, um, And don't take this the wrong way, of course. I just said you're just a sweet person that generally, genuinely, genuinely, I can't even say my dyslexia of kidding, kicking in, but you're genuine with, with connecting with people's hearts. And so that's all I've known about you. And so that obviously was a core that was happening. Now, I'm sitting on the outside. We're thinking this is the early 90s that you're hanging out with Edmonton. How did you get the chutzpah and the courage to pull this off or even start this to, what to begin it? You said you were pulled in, but man, <laughs> what, 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 what was it in your own makeup? that really contributed to that early success for you. And there's a lot of people that are listening. You know, we have a mixture of, of who's listening to the show. 
is, mm-hmm. so regardless if I'm younger or older, what, what were some of those characteristics in the beginning that you were able to kind of pull this off beyond what you've said well, so far? I love the chutzpah word because that is, that's, what they, that's what they called me. You know, they, she says she's got chutzpah. And what it was was I didn't know any different. I, when I hooked on to this idea that I was going to work for an NHL hockey team, I was 15 years old sitting in the stands watching a hockey game with my father, and, and I said, Dad, I'm going to be in the NHL someday. And he looked at me, and I'm a girl. You know, there's no women in the NHL at all at this point on any level, maybe in the marketing department. And mm-hmm. he looked at me, and he said, okay, good for you. He didn't shut me down, Ken. He didn't say, you're a girl. That's not going to happen. Let's get practical. Come on, you've got to go get an education and go become a whatever. He just looked at me in my eyes, heart to heart, and said, good for you. And that's how I was raised. And when I go to that place, every, you know, and people say, how did you get the confidence? It wasn't confidence. It was the ability to fall down and then, you know, be told how to get back up. Not Somebody didn't pick me back up. So I would try something, and then I would, they didn't just clap or give me a red ribbon. If I was last in a, in a race, I was last in a race. So what I got to was that my courage and my commitment was what the foundation of my chutzpah, or whatever, that maybe they call it confidence, is that mm-hmm. every time I failed, I saw it as an advantage, and I kept stepping up. And, and the family, my chosen family, my birth family, my, my friends, they know me as a person that says, okay, so she, she's going to just keep nudging, trying, trying, trying to do something, and if it doesn't work, it's not a mistake. There are no mistakes. So by the time I got to the Oilers, I knocked, I knocked on the door basically and walked down the hallway and sat down in front of the director of player personnel and said, and I saw a stack of resumes up to his desk, and mine was on the top. And I looked over at it, and I said, that's my, I, and it was actually a CV. It was a bio book. I put something together quite sassy and uh, in oil <laughs> colors. And, you know, it was just young enough to not know that wasn't cool to do that. And he just sat there and looked at me. He goes, how do you know how to do this? And I said, you know what, it was just the next step. I wasn't looking out. I wasn't goal setting. I wasn't visioning out who I'm going to be and how I'm going to be standing with the Stanley Cup, which is the, the highest honor in hockey. I just said it was the next step. I just knew I had to do this. So this door opened, and I walked through it. And then the result Please. of that was, could have been either, it could have been anything, but I would have just taken that and gone that direction. So then you got hired. Yes. Pretty I cool. Did, so what was, what was it that you part. were doing for the players? What were you teaching um, these elite athletes who had already made it? I mean, there's, there's only been a few thousand professional hockey players in history. So how did you get into that group, or, or what was it that you were doing with them? Well, it started out, one of my unique skills is that I see, that I see people, I know this is going to blow your mind, I see people as actually whole beings, holistically. I see them as um, almost like holographic, where every system in our body, every system, our mind, our body, our spirit, they're all connected. So if I was working with a player off the ice and, and figuring out where his weaknesses were, I automatically then took it to the ice and said, okay, well, let's make up a drill that would help that weakness get stronger. 
So, which was very unique at the time. All the players on every team, whether it's the NFL, NHL, NBA, all the pro sports in North America, they all do testing and training at the beginning of the season. But at the time, they weren't doing anything with the data. And as a data science nerd, on, on top of it, I would, I said, well, why can't I take that data? I'm at the testing. Well, we don't really do anything with that data. I go, well, why are you doing the testing then? Let me. And their the answer to that question was. Well, there was a big gap because they were just told by the universities that that's the kind of things that they should do. Okay. So the gap between the 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 physiology or the psychology and and the, and the professionals that were there, which were all very talented, um, and then the results that the players were getting, it wasn't getting to those professionals. So I became a link. I thought, well, why can't we take the physiological testing and get it to the to the trainers? Why can't we take the psychology testing and, and get it to the psychologists and, and the, you know, the coaches that need this information? So everything was happening in silos. If you look at an NHL team or, or, or a pro hockey or pro basketball now, they all have psychologists and fitness trainers and physio. You know, they all have that level of support on their teams now. Back then, it just didn't happen. So my company became like a consortium where I would take the data that I was collecting the, through the universities and that I would build programs for the players based on what the data was saying. And then all of a sudden, we took the fastest team in the NHL, and they just got faster and better. And then the, that kind of started to seep out into, into other areas. I started doing their training and conditioning, plus their power skating, which is taking that information and get working actually on the ice with them, working with their edges, their stopping, their turning, their, their acceleration, their, their first step power, all these things that I was gleaning from the physiology. And I thought, well, this is completely normal. It makes, it's logical. Why wouldn't you take the data and then build programs? And that was so cutting edge back then, Ken, it just blew everybody's mind. Wow. And so you were helping them. When it came to taking data for the psychologists, what were some of the things that you were finding? And then were you ever involved? I know now you actually do mental performance coaching. But what were you discovering that was hindering some of these elite athletes even back then? The, the biggest thing, I, I, one of my mentors, Dr. Murray Smith from the University of Alberta, he was our sports psychologist with the Oilers, and he had also seen a little bit of a spark in me with the ability to connect what was going on with the players emotionally and mentally. Um, and then because I'd gained the trust on the ice skating with them and the, the personal touch, we were able to help players identify what was in their way. You know, it could have been something as easy as a, um, a fight with their wife or, or a, a sick parent or a pregnant wife or, a, or a, they were having to get, they were going to get traded. So the emotional and mental things that were going on for some of these guys would get in their way of their ability to be present and to, and mm. to, to play. And back then, that languaging wasn't there. So we started nudging it forward, and, and with the support of Dr. Smith and, and a couple of the other uh, professionals in, in, the, in our particular um, uh, team, we started to see that the players, there was a lot of commonalities. If stuff wasn't going well at home, stuff was not going to go well at the rink. Mm. You know, you think about, <laughs> I have to tell this story, Stephanie, just as a bit of a transition. We were working with in fact, still do with a very large company in the U.S. And they got a new vice president of HR. And we had the program where we're using the personal style indicator, which you're familiar with. Mm -hmm. And the vice president of HR says you can have no family 
examples in this work because family has nothing to do with work. Oh my! Isn't it interesting? And this was just a year ago. Even now, some people who are in senior positions with large companies still don't get how important it, that life is interconnected and what's going on at home will affect me at work. Well, you know what's so amazing about that is when we started having those conversations, when I started having those conversations with players, it happened so naturally that it was like they were just needed an ear, needed an outlet. And then the more that they were able to trust and say, and it wasn't venting, it wasn't like they were, you know, trashing anybody, or, but the fact that they were able to fold in what was going on at home sort of gave them that level of security and confidence so that they could just be trusting that someone was holding that information, someone was confidentially you know, had their back, so to speak, so that they could go out there and, and bust their butt for 60 minutes. So to hear that in 2016 and 17 that people and, and HR specialists are saying that family and, and home life doesn't matter, it really surprises me. Well, of course, and I just mentioned that so that everybody's listening, that, that there's just no way. If you, if you have uh, just real bad stuff going on at home, your ability to focus, your ability to function, is significantly hindered, and I don't care who you are, is that uh, this individual, by the way, uh, and this is not to put this profession under, but he uh, he was trained as a lawyer and came in in HR because they had all these grievances, and so he was going to be doing the administrivia side, but was really missing the fact that HR is about people. So with that being said, and you were starting to say, well, listen, now I'm going to develop that whole person. What are some insights some uh, experiences that you could share with the listeners, Stephanie, that would really help them go forward that you discovered, that you realized working with these individuals. They say, you know what, if you were to do these things, this would really help you to realize your potential in life. So what would be some of those things that you really discovered working with these individuals over the years? Well, start with the athletes, um, and to me, sport is such a microcosm of life. So, I think if 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 anyone's listening here as a you know a business owner or a, you know whatever, just to hear the qualities and the values through the filter of just sport being an expression. So, the first thing would be for me is to to shine a light on the fact that that this is a person, this is a human being, not a human doing. You're, I don't work with hockey players. Or so I don't teach skating. I work with hockey players. I don't teach um, singing lessons. I work with opera singers who are people that love to do that work. So the first thing I'm able to do, and I in, in encourage all, even the people that I mentor or that I coach to coach, is to find find your connection heart to heart, human to human, and to understand that we're all just doing the best that we can. And if you find a place where you love what to do, then to start there. One of the the scariest things that happened is I started finding athletes, for example, that didn't love the sport, that didn't love what they were doing. And that was a really big barrier to their success. And they were doing it for whatever reason, for money, et cetera. So through my discovery process, I would find out what that was, and then that would be a whole other tangent that we would go on. So the first thing I always do is find out, if, is this where they want to be? Is this who they are? And is this what they want to do? And, and can they see that by aligning that conversation first, they can get to a place where then all the other stuff can show up? The second thing... It's interesting. Like, Sorry, Stephanie. It just, it, no I mean, I, I always want to uh, grab these gems that you throw out there is, and of course, you know, our work is around purpose as well, but uh, how do you think some of these people 
which took enormous amounts of commitment, got trapped into a trajectory that wasn't theirs. How did that happen? Uh, you know what? That's the, the dark side of sport, possibly. Um, there's so much money, time, effort, energy that goes into the development of, of the sport and at being successful and proficient at, at executing on the sport that there's times where a lot of other things fall to the side and other skills, other life skills don't actually get developed. And at, at the same time, things happen so fast that some of the guys that I know get to a place where they feel they don't have a choice anymore. They put mm-hmm. so much time and effort, and, and now their identity starts getting wrapped up into the who who they think I am and who mm-hmm. I must think I am. And next thing you know, you know they're living a life uh, out on the road with one set of values and then coming home and trying to reintegrate into a family life or with another set of values. So. How does it happen? Um, I don't know. I just know that there's a window of time with, with young athletes that they, they, do deti- they do choose a lifestyle. And if they want to commit to it, then that, that's, that line gets very, very narrow. And then there's not a lot of um, conversations that don't have to do with just the game, especially when they get a little bit older. This is where it gets really hard is when they start talking about retirement. Some guys won't even talk about retirement because it's a superstition. So the, the impact of, of the decision that gets made at 15 or 16 or 17 years old for these young people has lifelong effects. And if they don't have that outlet, someone to talk to, a family counselor, family advisor, sports psychologist, per- performance coach, somebody outside the family that doesn't have a vested interest in the success or the financial outcome for that player is really the, how I found that I was able to support the players the best, is to find somebody that can help them identify mm. when they made the decision, is this truly what you want to do? And if it isn't, let's look out ahead, how do we use it as a vehicle, and then create an exit strategy from there. Did you have some athletes who had gotten as far as the NHL that made a decision to, I need to get out? Yes several. Mm. It's devastating. Um, one in particular that got a second chance after a series of concussions, took some time off, went into a whole other career, uh, hired me as uh, his performance coach and, you know, spent forty or $50,000, you know, training and getting nutrition and coaching and, and all that. Took a whole 18 months. Uh, we got him a tryout with an NHL hockey team. He went all the way to tryouts got an opportunity to sign with the farm team. And then at the 11th hour, after this 18 months, was standing at the top of the um, the catwalk and looking down at the rink at the logo that he was so desperate to, to get back to and, and had a moment and just said, this isn't what I want. He wow. called me. It was 11 o'clock at night my time and 3 o'clock in the morning his time or whatever, he, whatever it was. And he said, I don't know what to do. So what did he end up doing? Did he? He left. He we co- I coached him through it. We he, um, he there was a couple of drawbacks. Obviously, by saying that he knew it was going to be done and over for good, and that spot would never show up again. Because if he the minute he says no, then another guy will show up. They'll offer the contract to somebody else. So mm-hmm. he knew in that moment. So we did sort of a values discovery and said, okay, so here's the benefits and drawbacks. Um, it's not about what you want in that moment. It's For me, it was about trying to help him discover what was going on in his body. What, he, what was he feeling? And it's tough for a hockey player, tough for anybody to say, okay, 
I don't know what I'm feeling. So we did the discovery. It took us about an hour. And I, we started talking about what was out going on at home and his, what was going on with his girlfriend and family and, and who he wanted to be. And that was the key. He said he started looking at these guys, and they were all about five, six years younger than him, and who they were being. And he said, you know what, I came back with this fantasy that I thought I was going to be that NHL hockey guy and I was going to have this life and support my family in this brilliant way. And he says, it's not that these guys are, there's nothing wrong with them. It's just that I'm not there anymore. So we were able to close the circle for him. So he got to complete that journey, get on the airplane, hand the contract back the next day, thank everybody, shake hands, eye contact, get on the airplane, fly back to his home and begin a new life, fully complete. So that's the journey that, that and, and when, but not a lot of guys have that luxury. They don't have the people in their lives that say, okay, this is the decision. Let's work all the way through. What are the benefits, drawbacks? Mm-hmm. What, what could worst possible scenario be? And what's the best possible scenario? But it has to be grounded in who I am being. And that was a shift for him. Yeah, and it, it's interesting. There's just so much cultural pressure, right? Uh, if you spent your whole life going certain direction, just to be able to turn it or to listen to your heart. And even though everybody says follow your dreams, if all of a sudden it's uh, vicariously through parents or whatever, there's, there is mm-hmm. just a significant amount of pressure on that. As you think, thanks, Stephanie, for that. As you think about the people you're working with now, and sometimes you coach business owners and and also just a mental performance coach for other individuals, what are some other things that you're discovering, uh, tips and strategies that really can help anybody that's listening here to just go to to the next level? So the first one is really just get in touch with who you are and, and be true to self which is a, a whole show on its own. Uh, it but is, beyond that, what are some of the, Go ahead. Beyond that, beyond the personal style indicator and <laughs> the work that we did. <laughs> and clarifying your values and being and clear. Clarifying your values, sure. And then, then it's, about, it's about execution and action. That's the biggest gap that I see, um, is that we can know all this stuff and read all the books and take all the courses and fill out all the forms. And it, there has to be a step. And that step is really the hardest thing in the world to do because then you're putting yourself out there, the judgment, the, the, the fear of failure, all the things that we think are real are, are, actually, are actually tools that I use in my coaching. So we identify what could the worst possible scenario be, what, what would happen if we do you know, lose, what happens if we do fail. And then a lot of the answers and a lot of the magic comes out of that because what's a lot of times in their way is the fact that they're not taking action, they're not moving forward in business or making the next investment or whatever because they're afraid to make a mistake. So coming from sport, you know, all I ever did was make mistakes. <laughs> it's just that every once in a while you win, you know. So it was always about developing the qualities of the person. And sometimes we put the qualities of the sport or the business or the values of the profession or the practice ahead of what the person is all about. And I don't believe in just, you know, following your bliss and following your dreams and all that, which, is, which some people do, but I also find that it's also a bit of a trap because a hey, lot of it has been blissful. This has not been blissful. <laughs> it's been amazingly challenging and fun and, and joyous and heart-wrenching. But if I would have just followed my bliss, I, I don't know what that even means. So I, I, 
find my bliss in, in moments and in, in connection and peace and, and then challenge and excruciatingly painful failures and then getting back up again and going. And my bliss is about contribution and my bliss is about making a difference and, and the relationships that I gain along the way. So I don't. I want to have you know have those conversations with people that will you know call me and say I really love you to be my my coach, my performance coach, my personal coach, and so I'll take them through a journey of, of discovery questions, and by about you know 20 minutes in, they usually know that I'm not the right person for them as a coach because what I'll ask them is okay, well, what are you willing to do? Who are you willing to be? What are you willing to like? What's your investment in yourself? And three-quarters of the people that will call to check in because they want coaching or they've seen what I've done out in the, in the world, they'll go, well, I thought you would just do, do it for me. Like, you would just show me how I got I – well, well, that would be like hiring a trainer and then having the trainer do your push-ups. Like, this is a – this doesn't work that way. So that's I'll just really stop you. Where does, where does that thinking come from, Stephanie, that they would I, even I think that – I, I don't know. I, I think you'd be surprised, Ken. I mean, look at the people in, in your workshops. They're doers. They, these people are showing up and putting themselves out there and work, doing the work. But there is a, a massive amount of, of um, I don't know if it's just publications or, or uh, energy or it's false promises, where if you hire a coach or you go to a real estate workshop or you go to this, then this is going to happen and you're going to be successful. But what they don't, what they aren't getting to is that as a coach, it's my job to hold you accountable and to make sure that you circle back to what it is that you do to make sure that you can get to the podium or you can get to the next investment. And that gap is where, in my experience, people will pay for coaching. I actually made the mistake once and took a client and they paid me for 19, 18, 19 months. And I thought we were doing the work. And at the end they said, well, I haven't really gotten anything out of the coaching. And I, I was just shocked because I honestly believed we were in the same relationship. So I'm really careful now to make sure that when, when people are saying they want coaching or they say they want change, that they're actually willing to do the work that it takes, the ugly, kind of not-so-pretty, not-so-easy work. Because having a coach is, and a performance coach especially, somebody who is, you know, is committed to excellence, is a very different conversation than just having somebody say, good job. Where sometimes you can go to quote unquote counseling and you just get the kind of dump where really coaching is to move you towards something. So maybe one of the motivations behind this person's comment was is that they, you know, looking in a mirror to say that I didn't do anything, that would mean I'd have to take personal responsibility for my condition, wouldn't it? Absolutely. And that's, you know, when you're 100% responsible for your condition and for your life and for your results, it's a very different conversation than I'll pay you this much money a month and then you'll be responsible for my results. So right. what happened with, me, with the last, my last round for, towards Olympics, uh, 2006 and 2010, with some athletes. I uh, was talking to their coaches, and they said they were all talking about, you know, the winning and the podium and, and what it's going to be for them and how much they're going to make or the exposure they're going to get or the new clients they're going to get. And I'm sitting there over a glass of wine listening to these coaches and thinking, oh, my goodness. So if you're going to take responsibility for their success, then you also have to take responsibility if they fail. So guess what happens? 
is that the coaches that are so committed to the, the success of the clients, if the clients or the skaters or the hockey players don't win, they disappear. And I never wanted to be that coach. I wanted to be that person standing there by the boards, regardless of the result, because if we knew we did everything that we could do to get to the podium and something still happened, then I'm still going to be there for that athlete. And stand there with a bright smile on my face, probably tears running down my face. But I can't be responsible just for one side. I have to be responsible for the entire outcome. With in partnership with my client. Well, it's interesting you mention that because one of CRG's values is that our associates take responsibility for their results. I mean, we do the best that we can, just as you do. But in the end, the athlete has to take and do the effort, or the business person, or the individual, whoever it might be. Uh, I I want to circle back to a comment you said earlier, and that was. One of the major issues for people now is their execution. They're not taking action, and they have some of these fears. So what do you do to help people to overcome these fears so that they will take action, so they will step out, so they will do something? Well, one of the first things I do is I manufacture some adversity for them. So to create a scenario where they can go through it and go through something to an absolute failure outcome and know that they're not going to die. And that's really one of the biggest things. I think our egos are designed to keep us safe. So a lot of times we don't want to take action or make any changes because our, our ego really tells us that we're going to die. And it's so prevalent with athletes and especially um the younger ones is that they're afraid to take charge or make some changes because if they do and they're doing something they don't know, then it's the unknown. So what I tend to do is create scenarios where I can work with people and, and say, okay, well, let's, let's look at, you know, you know, kind of rise up above it, take a look, let's do the worst-case scenario, and what's going to happen to the outcome? Well, I guess I, I, I guess I didn't win. I go, right, so, and? Did you die? Well, no, I didn't. So that's the thing, is to bust through whatever their fear. It isn't maybe that. Maybe it's I'm going to be unliked. Maybe I'll be unloved. Maybe I'll be judged. Whatever it is for that person. Well, let's go through that with me. I'm I'm not going to do that, Stephanie, because, man, do you know what people are going to say? If I quit hockey and I do all those other items, it's it's just better to stay miserable here. That's it, right. Oh, my gosh. Like, honestly, if you could give me a a nickel for every time I hear that, I'll just stay here because it's what I know. And I, I, I'm miserable, I'm heartbroken, I'm cheating on my wife, I'm being an awful father, I'm becoming an alcoholic, but you know what, it's what I know. So when it comes wow. to that or not, yeah, oh yeah, that's been one of the hardest things I've ever had to do is to actually unwind that level of heartbreak. Because that's the choices that they'll make. It's easier to, to stay where they are. And, it's and an old saying it. that uh, we say in training, the certainty of misery Versus the misery of uncertainty. Ah, love it. <laughs> so that's what you're it. describing. You're describing there. So what are some other things then that you might do to help people to bust through then, to get over this fear that is hindering them? Because I know that happens with Patrick's real estate investment group too, where they've got all the information, but they just never step out. Well, it's funny. You know, we do a lot of that work. It's so parallel and um 
it's easier to look at the small chunks. They say how to eat an elephant, you know, one chunk, one, one bite at a time. Mm-hmm. But most people that have big goals and dreams and we're told, dream big, you know, and go there and then p- get paralyzed because you don't know what next step to take. So my line is dream big but act small. Let's just act mm. really small. Let's take one. What's the next smallest best right action you can take right now and then when get people comfortable taking these small steps which is a very an analogy to even my career is all of these it sounds like it was such a big leap but every single one when I look back at it was one small step in the in the same direction not necessarily a straight line certainly but in the same direction of of what I where I was going Um, and that's what I bring my clients back to is what's the next best right action step that you can take right now? Is it just picking up the phone? I'll have a client that have this great idea and I've just talked to this person and I'll pick up my cell phone, dial the number and hand it to them and say, talk. You'll see people to shut right down. No, I can't do it. No, I can't do it. And then the person goes, hello. And they do it. So it's in that moment where the encouragement is about stepping through and standing on top of the fear with my own Olympic journey trying to get there without being a certified figure skating coach, I had to climb on top of my fear daily because I was more committed to my outcome and getting my clients to the Olympics than I was to my fear. Mm. And I try to get my clients to be more committed to what they can see and know and do and contribute than they are to their fear. You know, Stephanie, we just uh, covered so many great things here. Um, if and we we're, we have a few more minutes, but we want to wrap up soon. Is what would you what would be sort of a summary kind of statement or statements you would say to individuals to realize their potential in life beyond what you've said so far, and just really share with us from your heart uh, other sort of tidbits or insights that would help the listeners to kind of go to the next level. What might those last couple of things be? Hmm. Well, the one that keeps circling back for me and that shines a light on my my own journey is that you can't be the best. It's impossible. There's always somebody going to be better. So what if we just discovered who and what your best is? And be okay, because if I'm competing from being my best and you're competing from being your best in the world of sport, then that's an amazing experience. But if I'm trying to be you or beat you, then I'll never win there. So being your best, being my best, is to me the shift from trying to be the best in the world at something. But if if we can help people athletes, performers, business people, however they want to show up in the world, find out what that light is for them and align it and stay true to it, then they're, they're being their best. And then you can't lose. Mm-hmm. You can't lose. So that's been the biggest shift for me is, is to, to really help people get to that soft, humble, grounded spot where their power lives, where their true power lives. Absolutely. And Stephanie, if people wanted to get a hold of you and find out more about your expertise, how might they contact you? Email's the best because I travel so much and I'm on so many different timeline, uh, time zones. 
So it's Stephanie at stephaniehanlon.com, which is uh, S-T-E-F-F as in Foxtrot, A-N-Y-H, at stephaniehanlon.com. And that's S-T-E-F-F as in Foxtrot, A-N-Y-H-A-N-L-E-N.com. And then you have some information on that website as well, your personal website about you as a speaker or a trainer or coach uh, that they can look at and then they can email you for more um, information if they want. Absolutely. Yep. And in the hockey one, it's quantumspeed.ca, all one word, quantumspeed.ca. And that one is the hockey program that's the holistic hockey program on ice, off ice, and mental training, which starts at Bantam, which is 15 years old and goes to pro. Awesome. So any final words for us, Stephanie, before I wrap up the show and these great listeners here? Well, geez, Ken, other than gratitude, thank you for the time and energy and on your commitment to this whole journey of, of personal development and professional development and, and for, for the opportunity to express, you know, you asked some good questions and, you know, it's, it's so, such a privilege to come from my heart. So it allows me to be my best and, and, and it allows me to shine. And when that happens, maybe we touch somebody. Maybe. And uh, for certain, we have. And, you know, Stephanie, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with you. I just want to – or be with us, pardon me, <laughs> but that was, that was fun – is I just want to thank everybody that you've been listening here for – you know, I don't know how many shows we've done here this year already, but we're getting into dozens and dozens. Yeah. And, again, we have special people like Stephanie who are hanging out with us to be able to share their best with you so that you can be your best. I think one of the things that Stephanie said today is to you know, be in touch with who you are. Do the work. Uh, find out who, who it is that you are, what you bring the best, that you have this opportunity, as Stephanie said, where really what you're supposed to do is attracted to you. You're drawn into it. It's sort of like this, uh, not a black hole, but it's a light hole where you really can be in the flow. And it's not that it's not you're going to, not going to work hard and there's not going to be effort, but it's going to be rewarding. It's going to be fulfilling. All these words that people uh, talk about. And as I mention at every show is that if you enjoy what we've been doing, if you like uh, the shows, then please share them, pass them on. We want to kind of build the tribe, expand the influence, and I just thank you in advance for doing it. And if you do have any questions or have some ideas of individuals who could be on the show, then make sure that you contact us at crgleader.com. You know, thank you again for listening to Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.